Good morning. It's your friend Amy Knight. Well, good morning to me. Have you missed me? I've been on a little sabbatical, a little work sabbatical, but I'm back. I'm sitting here with my Christmas coffee, which is coffee with eggnog instead of cream. You should try it. It's delicious. I'm wearing my Santa Claus hat, albeit it is black because Christmas is not my favorite, but I do like all the parties and giving my friends gifts. You know, sometimes when you marry, your spouse's friends become your friends. If you're lucky, that's a good thing. I got pretty lucky with Brock. He has some pretty cool friends, and this John Steele guy is one of them. He came to stay with us this week because he just joined the band Same As It Ever Was, which is a Talking Heads tribute band here in town. If you don't know about them, check them out. If you can catch them, they play on the road mostly, but every once in a while, Knoxville gets them. It's an excellent show. And John is the new bass player. He adds a lot to the group. I think they play again in March, if I'm not mistaken. So keep your eye out. I didn't realize how much this talk was going to be about jazz. I don't know why I didn't think that. I did know that John is really into jazz. But this is a musician's episode. It's like a... A lot of musicians' musicians mentioned. He dropped some Knox jazz heavy hitters and a bunch of jazz people I didn't know, frankly. And you probably won't either because, well, it's jazz. I told him after we talked that I was on my best behavior, not poking fun. Brock graduated UT from the jazz department, too. And I poke a lot of fun at him. Well, it's like 9 o'clock in the morning and we have our talk over some coffee. So whatever you're drinking, cheers. Let's listen in. So you have been at my house since last Saturday. Yeah. You've been at my house for one week. Lovely house. Crashing. And we're doing coffee talk. (laughs) It's coffee coffee talk talk with John Steele. (laughs) Got my coffee. So this is our friend John Steele. Brock's friend mainly, my friend now. But how did you and Brock meet? Brock and I... You were living in Knoxville. Yeah. I lived what year? In, I lived in Knoxville. Um, I came here in the end of 87, uh, and then I met Brock in at school at UT. Oh, okay. Yeah. You all were in jazz together. Yeah, studying jazz. Um, I can't really remember the first encounter, but like I knew we were kindred in, in some ways because we both were in this jazz program but I had kind of formulated some things about our own musicianship. Mm-hmm. You know, what we wanted to do with music that really didn't fit in. <laughs> but we got through it, that's for sure. So I remember, yeah, that about Brock hanging out early. And he had his band, Free Formula. Some cool guys in there. Yeah. Yeah. Did you all play in a band together at all, ever? Yeah, we did. We played uh, in like early 2000s, like right on 2000. Yeah, 2001. Uh-huh. I think that was a bit of the early part of it. With um, We did some stuff with Marcus Shirley. Oh, yeah. Yeah, down Marcus at Lucille's. Uh, and we also played in a, a band, like a full-on band. Um, Creek was the Creek. name of that. Yeah. It was kind of wrapped up into a project, too, because Brock was doing recording at the time. Um, yeah. And we were writing some songs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one thing I'm remembering about Knoxville, I love about it, like, it's, uh, 
it's got a lot of uh, familiarity with itself. Mm-hmm. You know, Knoxville's got an identity. It does. Yeah. 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 And people from Knoxville. I'm not really from Knoxville. No, you're not. No, but. Uh, people have asked me like where I'm from and I land on it and just say, yeah, I'm from Knoxville. Really? Yeah. And you yeah. came here for college? Uh, I came here to finish high school. Oh, and you came here went, before college. Yeah. And then went to, went to UT, um, went to Rhone State too. Mm-hmm. UT. What high school did you go to? Oak Ridge. Nice. Yeah. That was cool. It's kind of a, uh, a different <clears throat> part of a different thing of this area. There's kind of hippie over there and. Little granola, at least back in the eighties in Oak Ridge. In Oak Ridge, you wouldn't think that. I, I didn't. Never I couldn't that. put it together, and then I uh, learned like about the the plants that are there, and that at one time it was like one of the highest concentration of PhDs in the country. Oh, right. Yeah, so because you had all these of eggheads. Yeah, yeah. because of the, all the nuclear egghead. stuff. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, so dad worked over there. I was too. look. I was hanging out with Watch their off. grandchildren, in, in effect. You know, third yeah. generation. Yeah. So they're a little nerdy. I had a cool economics teacher. I took only one AP class in my entire high school career, and this was economics. And I'm not sure how it turned about, but a class demonstration, I went to the board and um, showed the class how to make a gravity bomb. You know, here's the... (laughs) <laughs> Top of your two-liter bottle, and you cut it off. You know, I drew all this on the chalkboard. Like they're a little, little hippie over there in Oak Ridge. Yeah, I made a good grade in that class. I remember because <laughs> you probably taught the teacher how to make a gravity ball. You probably went home that night. <laughs> and made Today I learned something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was cool. I really liked uh, my time in Oak Ridge, and I felt like Knoxville was the big city. Right. You know? mm-hmm. So uh, somehow I got hooked up with a little soccer team, uh, not a, related to the school, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Was it AYSO? Is that what it is? The uh, Maybe. The soccer thing? Anyway. No, nah, I say little. We weren't, you know, we're high schoolers. But it was a, anyway, we, we play different schools around here, unrelated to the school. And I know this because the jerseys wore had a big pot leaf on the front of it. <laughs> what? Right. So no school would sanction that. I know, right? I think we we're called I like do stoners. Some research on this. What? Yeah, is, is it still? Uh, I mean, we definitely like again. I was really fresh. I mean, just rolled into town, and we were all were. I was looking for something to do. You know. Wow. Yeah, and um, I mean, no one got high. That was the yeah. ironic part. You know, they were all like straight A students in Oak Ridge High School. Hey, called the stoners. Straight A students get high. That's true. <laughs> Might be a high number of those <laughs> people. Um, yeah. wh- where are you from, though? Um, like, where were you born? I was born in Lynchburg, Virginia. Lynchburg, Virginia. Turns out it's a pretty historic little town. You had, um, well, you got Liberty University there. Oh, okay. Scandalous Liberty. I don't know anything right. about Liberty. Yeah. Well, it's not worth talking about, really. Okay. But anyway, Lynchburg's got some cool things, but I didn't live there for too long. Um, uh, I think in four, I moved to Charlottesville, mm. um, and then to Richmond. Virginia. Yeah. I've heard of that. All Virginia, yeah. And then Atlanta. Wow, you moved... Was your dad in the military or something? Why'd you move around so much? Um, a couple of things. Um, he did... He worked as an engineer, and he oh. was good at starting offices. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
And I, so he would kind of set out. Now, there's another element to this, which is my sister's figure skating career. Oh, they, yeah. They That's moved. so interesting. You were telling me about that the other day over yeah. some coffee talk right. in the kitchen. Yeah, we That man. your sister is. Well, she was. Was. Yeah, a world-class figure skater. Wow. Um, back in mid-'80s. And so that's why we moved to Atlanta. So after um, Richmond, Dad stayed in Richmond, and Laura went down to train. That's my sister uh-huh. in Atlanta. And then my mom and I followed suit. Uh-huh. So he stayed right. up there, kept the business going, and uh, we lived in like this condo townhome complex near the ice skating rink. Yeah, you have uh, such an interesting family. Uh, Your mom being yeah. a costume designer and. Yeah, Vegas. Yeah. yeah, so like those were kind of the, the, the beginnings of the ends of my mom and dad. Yeah. You know, not to get too personal, oh, but yeah. it just paints the picture in that right. like, um, you know, within 10 years, she was going to be in Las Vegas. Yeah. Working as a as a costume designer. She started in the like the wardrobe shop at the Luxor. Right, so it was not any lofty ambition. I mean, it it, just I'm really proud of my mom because she was able to go out there with a lot of, um, I, I, I don't want to call it homespun skill, but she made, she beaded a lot of the skating dresses that my right. sister wore so and then others too, mm-hmm. right? So she's very um, able on a sewing machine. She'd been working that out since she was a kid. You know, yeah. she's one of that generation and she had the imagination. So... It's amazing that to know that um, you know uh, my dear sweet mother, uh, this this lady was able to go out to Las Vegas and set up a career that lasted 15, 20 years. Yeah, she's she's like eighty one now. Yeah, right. And yeah. the doll clothes. And the doll clothes. She makes fabulous. Yeah. Does she still do that? Um, not as much. She's not making them. I'm trying to help her catalog them. Yeah. She has a certain approach. So say exactly. So she... She makes couture clothes, doll clothes for 18-inch dolls, your American yeah. girl size dolls. But couture. Couture. I yeah. don't even know what that means, but... I don't know. I think couture, that's like... That's some Project Runway shit. Yeah. What's legit? I mean, yeah. she's not bragging. If you saw this stuff, I don't know if it's out there on Etsy or if it's anything. That's what I'd like to help her do. Get yeah. Organize, at least so we can look at the stuff. Right. And it is amazing. And the detail <laughs> is in there down to like the little boots and the, oh, wow. how they're hooked together. And um, for a little while, she uh, had people submit their own designs. And she would just make them. She would make them That's from the incredible. designs as part of the project. Yeah. Pop wow. Rocks is what she called it. P-O-P-R-O-K-Z, maybe. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so mom's been doing that thing uh, in Las Vegas. Sister's world-class figure skater, which is legit, too. She got second to the world, second to an East German. She had worked her way from regional competitions to, like, mid-Atlantics to nationals. And all of those steps, you you have to do it a few times. Like you yeah. don't make it to nationals the first year around. You might not even make it to mid Atlantic. So yeah. you know, so you have to build on these things. And and uh, I mean, at the time, I was about to get into high school or in high school, so I wasn't really paying attention. Right. Her world was a lot different than mine. She had private school. She had sponsor. She had a trainer. She had all like her world was set up very adult like. Mm-hmm. Turns out. 
you know, looking back, like these girls out there doing the figure skating, man, you know, they are living adult lives yeah. in some cases before they really yeah. should, you know. Like child actors and child actors, child gymnasts, yeah. all the things, you know, there's the skeeviness and there's plenty of, you know, coke and mm-hmm. drugs and, right. you know, <laughs> at least back in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway, um, despite all that, you know, sister's a champ. And she got that far, and um, that was it. You know, Olympics would have been the next thing. And I think she had some real, real stress with the program. At that level, let me go this direction. So I also have a stepbrother who's a um, PGA golfer. I was going to mention that, too. That's what I'm saying. Your family is like crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So professional golfer, professional. Yeah, and he's another one who had it coming up. You know, Um, so this is my stepbrother. Dad remarried, and I got. Two stepbrothers, which are very cool. I knew Troy and James before they got married. So I think I was late high school, their middle school. You know, mm-hmm. we're about 10 years apart. Anyway, moved to the golf course there in Oak Ridge. <laughs> My dad worked at Oak Ridge that, at that time, again, with the engineering thing and um, did a lot of cleanup work for DOE. That afforded him a spot on the country club, right? And uh, Troy was all about it. Like, he and my dad really, like, saw eye to eye on engineering and golf. (laughs) It was just, like, the perfect formula. So he worked out there and then went to Georgia Tech. Oh, Georgia Tech. Yeah, Yeah, study engineering. Engineer school. Study engineering, Georgia Tech. A golf scholarship. And meanwhile, cultivating. My point was this. This is very serious business. And you start these kids young. You know, if they show any aptitude, did I now? Did I show any aptitude for golf? Maybe, I just hated it. Yeah, <laughs> I just didn't get I have it. Opinions about golf? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'll tell Troy. You know, all you got to do is uh, get the ball in the hole in the least amount of strokes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy. Well, I'm just teasing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But my yeah. You so you train these kids, you know, and it's big business. Think about the money that goes into it because. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to like drop any money here, but like I've known Troy to come home with an exorbitant amount yeah. from winning the prize. Like, yeah. yeah, you watch those professionals do their thing, and it's um, it's why they're pros. And I do appreciate golf enough to know how frustrating it can be. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there's a time when you can really get everything straight. I've hit that ball perfectly once, and it just clicks on the club. Everything just swings. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's the addictive thing. Because once you do that, you're like, ah. You're always reaching for that. Yeah. Trying to get that back. I'm not trying to get go that. there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I like watching it and I appreciate that level of professionalism, which requires cultivation. So skating, golf, music, um, you really have to start working on that early in order to like orient have the kid understand where they are in the sport you know it's a very competitive thing but you know you find like you have to work these things out so like maybe if you're a good golfer you know but you studied like i don't know you know law or physics or whatever something else in school you know Uh it happens in music too where you have some killing musicians that didn't really study music that's a different approach those guys might just be damn good at golf right you know so how early did you start with bass uh i was 10 yes yeah, and did you start with bass yeah. you always played bass yeah yeah 
Yeah, that was it was almost a joke, really. I mean, I was always interested in music. I do remember getting a little like a drum when I was three or four or five. I loved it. You know, yeah. I, I didn't know what to do, so beat the <laughs> yeah. shit. But I loved playing it. Um, making sound. Making sound. Yeah. So I had an affinity for for music. And anyway, um, yeah, sixth grade is when they introduced the kids to music and. I hope they still do in schools. Um, and they had like a parade of instruments. And when I saw that upright bass, I was like, I should play that, um, which I did. <laughs> That's uh, cool. Yeah, sixth grade. And this was when I was living in Georgia. Then I started seventh grade and then I quit halfway through because I got an electric bass. Oh, okay. Because I knew what I was playing was an old timey bass. Right. Right, this is 11-year-old mentality, uh-huh. you know, like that old thing that was... Are you toting around an upright bass at 11 years old? No, they have them at the school. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Though, bigger than an 11-year-old. I did bring one home, so they let me take one home, which is super cool. That would have been... On the bus? Summer, summertime. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they came and got me. <laughs> excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. Excuse yeah. Me. <laughs> oh, I've flown with the upright bass. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and the trick, yeah, the trick is to like um, get the bulkhead seat. And I learned this from Rufus Rufus Reed's bass method book. Like, there's a pictorial how to travel on with how the to bass. fly with your bass. So you turn it upside down, right, uh-huh. and you strap it in. What? I was. It yeah. gets a seat. Yeah, you put it in the seat. Oh, yeah, you got to buy a seat. And you, you buy it in the bulkhead. You buy a seat for your base. Yeah, yeah, That's for sure. That's funny. Yeah, if you don't want to check it, even an electric instrument, like, yeah, yeah if you don't want to check that stuff, um, bases are, they have a longer neck, so they don't yeah. fit anywhere, really. Uh-uh. So if I want to take it in a gig bag on a plane, you for sure, That's yeah, crazy. To buy the ticket, which <laughs> I don't do. I just check that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I started, yeah, playing sixth grade, got a got an electric bass and was done with the old timey bass and listened to a lot of rock music, mm-hmm. radio rock. I was turned on to music really by my sister listening to music. Used to have vinyl, you know, we'd listen to she was a big doors fan. Mm-hmm. So we had some of that. She had a little journey. She had some Aerosmith in there and some ACDC and some Queen, some Rush. I turned out to be quite the Rush head, you know, by 13 or 14. I was listening to music. I listened a lot. I picked off a lot of Led Zeppelin. And it was really good for me to turn on it, like, off actual LPs. Right. Um, yeah. And I also had some friends in the neighborhood who played. So we had a little garage band going what was the name of your little garage band i don't know what i don't i don't know i don't know that's a dumb i mean we did um (laughs) we did a talent show we did a couple of talent shows i know who was in the band yeah (laughs) yeah shout out to brent berry uh james funderburk uh that was uh the og trio and then richie turner came in the next season yeah which was a good little guitar player at the time. You, know, you go listen back to these guys because you can find them on Facebook. You know, That's it's fun. like, man, how you? Um, and it's you know, it's okay. Yeah, it takes time. Like it takes time to be a good musician. Yeah, I didn't realize at the time like what I was strapping in for. You know, you didn't know that you were going to be a professional musician. Uh, that you? I have had in my mind. I didn't know what it looked like. Right. 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, when you're a kid, and I had pretty narrow exposure to music. It was radio rock. It was uh, albums my sister had. Parents didn't really listen to a lot of music. My dad was a Neil Diamond fan. I'm a Neil Diamond for fan. For better or for worse. Love Neil Diamond. <laughs> I um, told you I have the box set. Yeah. <laughs> and then I've seen him. Yeah, in- I told you, like, my sister skated to a good yes. bit of the Neil Diamond. Jonathan Livingston Stiegel. I mean, I can't say it's the grooviest music. So they weren't listening to, like, much cool stuff around the house. Um, so I picked up what I picked up and um, stuck with what what I had. And then... Yeah, as you move along through school, like high school, you get into the orchestra and or the jazz band, right? And those guys aren't really telling you what's up either. They're just music teachers, you know? They're not like, well, I I shouldn't say that. They might be outperforming, but uh, a lot of your time would be spent getting classes together and teaching your classes. You know, Mm -hmm. it's hard to go out and hit the scene till two o'clock in the morning when you're getting your band when did you together. start getting tipped for your tips <laughs> for your music when did you start playing like out like it in oh yeah That's bars a, and yeah. clubs and so or did you do any like basking or anything before that or nah. what was the first i place? would have as a kid so uh to get to segue out of the garage band stuff like we had a couple of little gigs uh-huh. right like i think a bus driver <laughs> <laughs> booked us for a party Aww, it was very sweet that's really nice I yeah like that. and we might have gotten some tips for that that gig so <laughs> that could have been the first in front of your band the first tipped gig uh but like yeah as as a an adult a working professional um I, uh dollywood where did i play dixie stampede what? Which was not a tipping gig, but no, but yeah, yeah. Was that your prof- I was, your when first I was professional in, gig? over there, at University of Tennessee? It was my first professional gig. I was like nineteen, and I thought, man, I've I've, made I've it. got my gig here, and this this pays pretty good. But you know, just wait till I'm an adult; they're gonna pay so much more. <laughs> and yeah, then, no. you didn't realize that in 2023, no. it's the only thing pretty that inflation <laughs> hasn't touched is the <laughs> the money that musicians make. What True is story. up with that? Well. <laughs> Yeah, everything goes nother. up except how how much to pay a musician. That's really a whole other podcast. It is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we could rap about that. Yeah, we should get Brock and we could get a lot of musicians. To you and Brock should have a podcast talking about that. We could. Yeah, yeah. It could just be you. Just call it PSA. PSA. <laughs> Public service announcement for how to treat musicians. For, mm-hmm. <laughs> we could do all kinds of things that I could be riffing now, but I'm not gonna. Like, I know we're trying to stay on. Don't the get us started on green rooms. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a, that was a fun gig, and um, it lasted a couple of years. And it wasn't long after that. Sure, I was doing gigs at Lucille's mm-hmm. restaurants or clubs, and yeah, that tip jar was out there. I don't recall like a hard hustle for the tips. Uh, well, it always depends on the, the band leader. Yeah, you weren't there for the tips. You no, were there for... but you know, there's. I've learned other situations where it really helps to to work the tip. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at least make mention of it. Well, it helps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Be too... Especially if you're on the road. Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on the band. Like, same as, like, 
I say as jo- as a joke, hey, we should put a tip jar out there yeah. <laughs> in the middle of Scruffy City Hall. It's just a joke, right? You all would, you all should though, because you would make bank. I mean, maybe not money. You could put, I don't know, thoughts. You know, write down good wishes on a piece of paper. You get and, drugs. You get lots of drugs. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a tip jar. We have a drug jar. I have been, we have, they have uh, in D.C. thrown some weed in the tip jar, yeah. for sure. And for an outright bus, speaking of busking, so, and in D.C., uh, around the pandemic, it was, it was bad. There was no gigs. There was no Oh, so we, I guess I should say, so you, you lived in D.C. Yeah. For a while, how long did you live in D.C.? Well, it's like 17 years. Yeah, until yeah. just recently. Yep. You moved to St. Louis. Moved to St. Louis. Yeah, so yeah. you're from St. Louis, or you're living in St. Louis now, but you decided to join a band in Knoxville. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I love Knoxville. That is how much John still loves the Knoxville music scene. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, people 500 ask me, miles can't keep him away. Nah, it's just, yeah, just the miles. Yeah, they, people ask me where you're from. And so, yeah, Knoxville is, is home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I lived here for 17 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Uh, St. Louis is is not unlike Knoxville. Yeah, you know, has some southern sensibility of yeah. it. And I just rolled in there, so I have no gigs in St. Louis. Right. And um and this is an awesome band, and I love coming to Knoxville. I have family here. Mm-hmm. Shout mm-hmm. out to Grace and Hope. Grace and Hope. Yep, yes. those are my kids, and I love them dearly. And it's um good to be around. Right. Yeah. Uh, this affords me to tour in the southeast and check in with other family and and friends and friends we charlotte when you Asheville, when yeah. you come yeah visit. yeah 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 you guys are the best i you love are. you are okay so in you're saying in dc yeah so during the pandemic there was no work and we would uh i i was a side man really there were some guys who really got their hustle together and organized um capitol hill jazz mob Oh. That's what it was called, yeah. So uh, shout out to them and the way of getting musicians in one spot at a good time of day with good weather was refined and then put on Instagram live, right? So wow, this yeah. started to get enough action. Where were where, you meeting to play, like in a park? Or? Yeah, yeah, it would be um, down in Kingman Park or Malcolm X Park, uh, maybe Ledroit. Uh-huh. And DC people turn out. Uh, you don't have to make a lot of noise about it. You're up there playing very, you know, excellent, killing. However you want to describe the musicianship is just so great there in DC, and you can't miss um, when you get these that those guys out there playing. Uh, it's like soulful and it's it's swinging. People are familiar with some of the songs. Play some Duke Ellington or maybe some Roy Hargrove. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that speaks to a lot of people that drop that money in the bucket. We say thank you very much, uh, and then we're out in you know an hour and a half. And it's on Instagram forever. Uh, I guess these days you don't have to like run the whole show. We just do a little little snippet. Little Instagram. I'd be playing a, some bass solo and ball beds over there, shooting a couple of minutes or not even like thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. around the bandstand yeah yeah um that's where i learned about the battery pack really good thing to have 
Yeah. No. So they sell these things online where you can plug in at least one guitar amp, if not like uh-huh. a sound system, into a battery pack. Nice. Yeah, so no extension cord needed. Making busking easier. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think people came out with amps, like no cord, you don't have to plug them in. Probably around pandemic time. Yeah. Find a market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was straight working for tips. It is a supplementary part of the musician's income. You know, as you suggest, yep. like, it doesn't pay what it should pay. No. People invest their entire lives, mm-hmm. years and years and years and years and years. So and much years time. And, and a lot of people don't get it. Mm-hmm. But when they hear it and it affects them, makes their toe tap, reminds them of a song. It's like free water. Mm-hmm. You know? You just, you just got that. So hopefully people are inspired to give back. You do have to ask for it. You know, yeah. a lot of times they don't think of it or, or just forget. Say, so, hey, you know, we have a tip jar here. If you like yeah. what you hear, show us some love. <clears throat> show us some love. Show us some love. And, yes, I've known Knoxville particularly to show a lot of love. Yes. Down at the bistro. Got some 20s in there. Knoxville loves their musicians, I think. I I really feel that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, people love to, like, chat about music and and gear and um, their favorite artists, mm-hmm. what shows they like to go to. I've never gotten um, the guy in Knoxville. I've never gotten this here where the guy is waving a $100 bill as you're about to get off to go on break. Yeah. And just request some song that you don't want to play or you don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. I personally am I'm ready to walk because, like, your intentions are already clear. You know, you just want to impress somebody or do something. Right. So you can keep your C note because yeah. it doesn't very go very far between... Five people. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> And um, and we're gonna go on break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I have had the band leader, which creates like a mutiny situation. Who's like willing to stick it out? Yeah. You know, and play that tune. And um, yeah, I'm not, I, I that particular case, I didn't have any part of it. I was off. I wasn't mad about it. It was like, no, nah, I'm not sticking here to play your tune. It's it, you know your corny tune. <laughs> yeah. Just for the money. Yeah. Yeah. You get that extra. Yeah, and so like there's some the there group. is some tippage conversation in the wedding thing because a lot of times band gets a tip. Yeah, and whoever's giving the tip doesn't know how many people are actually in the organization. Yeah, why would they know? I mean, you can see on the band. Okay, well you got you know seven musicians and singers and musicians, um, and so here's seven hundred dollars, uh-huh. which is a nice tip, right? Very nice. But then you got a sound guy and an assistant. Yeah, with that. And so, oh yeah. Who, so the thing is, so here's the quandary. Is that the right word? But it, who decides how much tip goes where? Right. I you never know? thought about that. Bringing your own sound guy to weddings. Oh yeah. No, hiring one. But they're still part of the crew. Like if someone. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and so and not and all. Do you tip them? I don't. That's the question. See, I say no. Because. Mm, okay. They're coming and performing one job that they didn't have to practice for. They yeah. didn't have to learn the mu- the music that's going to be played and how to arrange you know arrange every song. And they didn't have to meet you know and rehearse and and do all this stuff. But those guys are responsible for what really comes out. Well, yeah, to but the crowd. that's one job that they're being paid to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh huh. 
I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? I feel like if they're tight enough in the organization, like if it's the same sound guys all the time. Well, that's yeah. I'm. Then, I'm. I guess I was talking about like if you just hire somebody. Okay. Right. On that. On that. Uh, I think that your um, band leader, whoever owns the band, uh-huh. if you will, um, would decide not to tip. Them. I don't think that they would expect a tip as a sound person. I've never heard oh, of tipping a sound person. It happens. Does Big Al get tips? I don't know. If he puts a tip jar out, we'll Big know. Al. He's the local sound guy around here, uh, mainly. Okay. Next time I see him, I'm going to be like, oh, you need a tip jar. <laughs> You'd have to put it at the end of the bar. That's where he sits. Yeah. At Barley's anyway. anyway. Yeah. But yeah, okay, so... I've never thought about sound guys getting tips. Yeah, uh, I think it it in the corporate and wedding scene it can work in the balance. And I, I'm speaking from my wife's company that does this kind of thing, and I know that she's faced with the decision. You know, if a big tip comes in, you know how to split it up. Mm-hmm. You know, and if upper octave sound is on the gig, then yeah, of course Anya and Terrell. You know, those guys uh, help us do what we do and yeah that's how that goes if she had some rando sound guy on um a little trio jazz gig and they decided to tip us some she probably wouldn't tell him because she hired him outright like she paid him for what he's yeah 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 he's doing yeah and she would pay upper octave too it's just a matter in that case of spreading the love to, to, your, the to people, your family yeah, that's different that's different than just an outside yeah if you've yeah. got people that do that for you on the regs and yeah i could see tipping them out they're part yeah. of your they're part of your operation yeah and because the money's there yeah right, right. you know if it's another 50 bucks for somebody yeah um and sometimes it works out because if there was a miscommunication about parking Oh yeah, where you have to you pay to up, park uh, you and all that. That helps. Parking and yeah. helps offset that. And or they don't give you food; you have to pay for your food or whatever. Right, right. Most of the wedding corporate stuff. Oh, that's, that's the best. It's in the contract. You get to eat. The yeah, wedding food. That's the best. And the cake. Uh, you get cake. Uh, so <laughs> there are these things called bandwiches. Bandwiches. Uh, yeah, it's just a term really for a box lunch or oh, yeah, a yeah, sandwich yeah. that's usually what you get really i would say let's say at least half the time you have something that's not what the guests of the wedding are eating oh whenever i work a wedding oh i make plates for the band oh, okay totally i'll i'll go up to them and be like hey this is what we've got you yeah. should come get some food or do you want me to set you a plate aside or whatever right and brock as a there's a strict rule in this relationship if brock plays a wedding he has to bring home wedding cake <laughs> bring That's home cake <laughs> yep Yep, I definitely snatched a flower arrangement on the way. Oh out. yeah, that's even better yeah, if you yeah. get a flower arrangement yeah. too. But <laughs> yep, yeah, I mean, yeah, I always take care of the bands. It's a, it's more than just a gesture to mm-hmm. take care of the band like that because uh, it's dinner time. Yeah, you're asking them to play, and they got there early to set up. Yep, you know, so yep. yeah, yeah, and the food's already there, being prepared. Yeah. So just break off a little for the right. band. Not to mention, you know, if I'm ever working a wedding where we're doing the bar, too, mm. I'm like, hey, want a beer, you know? Oh. Yeah. 
Oh, Amy, I wish I were doing your weddings. <laughs> well, it's probably, I don't know. <laughs> it's probably, I'm biased about taking care of the bands. I've always been like that, though. I can remember when I worked at Patrick Sullivan's. I loved it when the bands came in. I was always like the first ones when they were like rolling everything in. I'm like, hey, guys, you know, let me get you something, whatever. That's how I met um, Hector Quirko and Steve and them when, when Lonesome Coyotes would play at Patrick Sullivan's. And I would always take extra, what happened to that place? extra care of them. Um, not Patrick Sullivan's. Man, uh, yeah, no, not Patrick Sullivan's. Manhattan's. Sorry, Manhattan's. Ooh, when they when I were Manhattan's. It's jigging real now. Yeah. It's jigging real now. Boyd's jigging I don't know why real. I said Patrick Sullivan's. I never worked at Patrick Sullivan's. <laughs> <laughs> it was across Kitty Corner. It is. It's across the street. I would go there yeah. all the time, but I never actually worked there. But yeah. um, Manhattan's is what I meant. Yeah. Whenever yeah. The, now the, that makes sense too. The Lonesome Coyotes. Yeah, the Lonesome Coyotes would play Manhattan's, and I would always take extra care of them. That's, yeah, that's, you know, as a musician, I always appreciate that from folks. Mm. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, if they stop by, hey, you need a drink? Right. Something like that. Anything. It happens, yeah, that's, yeah. I think that musicians could turn out to be prima donnas (laughs) (laughs) if they really exercised all that. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I try to see it as a, a way of people that appreciate musicians you know we're up there making music uh giving it uh everything we have to keep the party lively uh speak to the audience and i feel like i immerse myself in that i hope all the other musicians that are making music do and so yeah we don't have all a lot of time to go to the bar and things like that so if someone brings us a drink uh, or water, even yeah, yep, yep, uh, that yeah shows a lot of love. And if there's a tip jar, throwing some money in there does too. So. That's true. Anything crazy that's happened when you've been out playing in bars or anything that I got one. Well, it was a frat party. I mean, those get out of hand anyway. Oh, you worked a frat party. Oh, we used to. You do played a, lot a frat, of frat party. Okay, was this yeah. in D.C.? Or was this here? This is down in Alabama. In Alabama. You worked at a frat party in Alabama. I think it was Alabama. We played, and this is with a band called the Kings of the Killerfish. Yeah, which um, had Yachty Westfield in it. Shout out. Uh, Sean Perkinson, John Whitlock, shout out. But yeah, in terms of like just craziness, I remember a frat party where they got really excited. You know, that was kind of a, a hard and funk band and they got so stirred up like they were breaking furniture and it ended with a a cooler being smashed through this whole plate glass side it's more than a window the whole side of the building is made of glass and they just slammed this cooler through (laughs) (laughs) that was pretty rowdy you you, uh, created some mob mentality with your yeah lovely funk rock funk rock yeah (laughs) Yeah, incited the riot. <laughs> yeah, and I guess like I'll just leave it at that with the frat parties because those guys were kind of crazy with their antics and not as crazy as Tennessee or UT frat parties get. Well, I meant you heard frat about our butt chugging. Yeah, exactly. Incident. All and across the board, <laughs> Alabama, Mississippi, 
those southern uh, state the, schools. I get, well, I hadn't been up north, so maybe they don't get into that. But like, <laughs> yeah, like you know, people doing crazy fraternity. I think things the and, South has the most party school, like the more party schools than any other part of America, don't you? Could be the party schools. I grew up in the, the quote, southeast, quote, unquote, like all party over. Schools. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. It's definitely a pocket. You got Louisiana in there. Yeah, that's a Florida party state. You got Florida in there. Yeah, um, I've lived in Florida. I lived in Orlando for a few years and really partied a good bit there. You lived in Florida. Yeah, that was um, after Tennessee. No, well, I'm, I'm getting lost Gosh, now where, in my own mind. It was before lived, Tennessee. Man. Okay. Virginia, right? Um, Lynchburg, Charlottesville, Richmond, and then uh, outside of Atlanta, and then and then outside of Orlando, and then um, and then Knoxville, and then D.C. and now St. Louis. Wow! So I've been all over the south southeast. Like, if I really got to give you a, a good, I think a clear answer for where I'm from, I'm from the southeast. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and yeah, those guys party. I can mm-hmm. tell you firsthand. Florida, yeah. <laughs> Georgia, yeah. What'd you do in Orlando? Um, started high school. That's it. I mean, I didn't have any jobs. I mean, I had a job. I worked at a um, sailboat store, mm-hmm. washing boats. That's neat. I picked up windsurfing. And so oh, really? when I lived down there, yeah, that was a pretty cool job. I wasn't like a very diligent employee. I did a lot of windsurfing on the breaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was like high school so you know florida was kind of cool to kick it but that's all i did was did you play any music while you were there for sure it was in a high school a jazz band and um met some so I, I got a homie now jim jim young bass player i still keep in touch with shout him. out to jim young shout out to jim jimkins down there <laughs> orlando uh, and barry i have some that's the one thing i can appreciate about bouncing around i have friends just very few, you know, and you can, you're even Brocker on there that uh, uh, I still keep in touch with from years and years and years ago and uh, from all over. Yeah. And then came to Knoxville from yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To Oak Ridge. Came to Oak Ridge, played music there, got in uh, orchestra. I played next to Edgar Meyer, if you, anyone knows who that is. Edgar's sister was in the orchestra. And so, yeah, I was in the bass section there. And we were under Ed Meyer, Sr. So some of your bass player guys might know about all this stuff. But, yeah, that was kind of cool to land as a as a bass player. I identified myself, you know, even in high school as a, as a bass player. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't going to wear any stupid shirts like the bass keeps it down or some <laughs> job like that. But, um, you know, I felt like, okay, I'm a musician and... Uh, I'm a bass player. It, at least there's less of us than guitar players. And I listened to music, like I said, as a kid, and I learned that stuff. I learned Led Zeppelin lines and and learned how to read in school. So mm-hmm. I was in, in the jazz band, the orchestra over, over the Oak Ridge thinking, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I found myself in a pretty good spot as bass goes because of this guy, Ed Meyer. Uh, he's Rusty's bass teacher. Oh, really? Because so he'd send all the high school kids over to Rusty. Now, I really, as much as... Well, let you better say who Rusty is. I know who Rusty shout is. Shout out to Rusty Holloway. He was the jazz, uh, the bass teacher at University of Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. 
and um, responsible for like many, many oh, good musicians yeah. in I this mean, town. Guys and there. shout out to Cosmo. Cos- His kid, yeah. Cosmo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, with Rusty, it turns out, um, had a very bass-forward environment that uh-huh. I just kind of landed in. And the, I didn't get to UT first, I having not a lot of kind of academic training i could read like i basically self-taught all the way yeah you know i didn't have it since this whatever the sixth grade orchestra so i was lacking in some of the things you mm-hmm. know i didn't understand how music worked and so uh and it really just wasn't a very good student so i wound up at roan state for a couple of years mm-hmm. um looking ahead towards ut really not looking ahead just going one day at a time <laughs> uh figuring stuff out uh, stuff out the, the way um i always had just, yeah i remember learning um stuff off of blue matter this is a john schofield record you know when on those roan state days but things got serious when i went to ut you know uh i was going to continue to study music right I wasn't going to like change gears uh, right. so we were going to invest in that you know, I was going to invest my time in that. And I didn't have enough of a uh, purview or perspective to think about other schools, really. Mm. I just felt like, okay, this this is where I am. And then once I got there, I didn't really felt, feel like I belonged. You know, you had a lot of jazz. At UT? Yeah. Very jazz study e people. I was not a jazz study person. What um, were you? Uh, a bass player. You know, I was good at playing the instrument. Like, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to figure these things, making them sound right. And I guess I worked on some scales and things like that. But, yeah, I found myself to be a better player than musician. Oh, okay. I didn't understand some things. And so when I met with Jerry Coker and he suggested I take the jazz piano class in the summer and all this, mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And I didn't really do it. But, <laughs> I, you know, I got through jazz piano when we, when it came around. I got my degree. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got my degree, bitches. Yeah, well, you know, it turns out, I mean, come on. Like, I even, I've got a master's degree, so I went on to UT after that. Yeah. Uh, pff, I'll say for certain the things I learned as a master's degree student, playing the double bass uh, classical literature, uh-huh. I don't do any of that. Yeah. No one pays me. I got paid some money, a few hundred dollars to do it in some, 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 someone's vestibule. That's the only gig I've done on uh, doing classical solo double bass in the past 15 years. Wow. Right. I'm not saying I didn't learn anything. I'm just saying, like, applied music uh, is different than learning the instrument and what all happens in school. I, I could put that on another podcast, you know, my thoughts on school systems and university. But I did always want to be a musician and play. And so um, working through that program, also maybe most importantly studying with Donald Brown uh, helped me to get a grasp of what it looked like to be a professional musician and uh, work with elements that I think are in all music. So... I'm speaking of jazz, really. I, I'm glad I studied with Donald because I found myself more and more in jazz circles. I was not an assertive jazz musician. 
uh, or jazz student in school, but I kept finding myself in jazz things where I had to know what I was doing. Now, I was enough of a, curious enough while I was studying music at school to transcribe a lot of bass lines, walking lines, like I did as a kid with the Led Zeppelin and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like, this is how the music works. Like, this is at least what the bass does. Right. And not to get too caught up in methodologies and things like that, but actual get to that. So, you know, maybe those things helped me continue to cultivate and then get involved with other jazz sure. musicians because they pick up on that. They were like, oh, okay. I, I recognize that set of notes that are getting through the blues, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, right. it's jazz, right? And so, uh, but Donald was able to, I really through some anecdotal devices, uh, learn a lot. Because I can't say I had a semester's full of lessons with the guy, even though I signed up. Uh, but I got enough. Yeah, you know, uh, a half dozen hangs with him. Some maybe once or twice in the studio, maybe a few times in front of Lucille's. You know, where I would hear things like, you know, if it sounds good, <clears throat> somebody will like it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, these are very deep things uh, <laughs> that could be unpacked, and they turn out to be very, very true. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, why do people take something and just run with it? What you, what do you mean by that? Uh, he's he's a great player, but I don't know what kind of musician he is. Like, what what do you mean by that? Yeah, so um, those things you know were able to carry me to D.C. really, and play jazz there with you know, some easily world class jazz musicians. Where did you play in D.C. Where all did you play? We played it played at Twins. A lot of stuff on U Street. Uh-huh. Uh, that's like. Uh, strip where a lot of jazz clubs are so in clubs. twins and jojo's yep adams morgan bossa this club called columbia station that's changed names and places and mm-hmm. very kind of representative of the dc local continuing jazz scene right you know like that spot's been doing what it does for 25 30 years and who knows who's in town that might stop by you know some very famous Ben Williams might roll by. He was with Pat Metheny, you know. But he might just roll up. Or, or it might just be like Canute Jensen, which I love. But, you know, some local homies there playing their jazz. Like, But you know it's always going to be there. I don't even know what they're calling this place now. I guess Green Island. Yeah. Yeah. That's So there's D.C., yeah. Uh, and some of the clubs changed. Like, I played at Bohemian Caverns, and, like, that went. That was an old, very historical jazz club. Um, records were recorded there and a lot of national guys uh, would come there like I've seen Ron Carter there and anyway as jazz come and go jazz clubs come and go you know this one finally went it's too bad like the building's still there and I think they've reworked the basement mm-hmm. that's where the caverns were bohemian caverns but what they've really worked out is the main level now you know, I know I'm going on and on about no, this, but it does, I think, paint a picture of the D.C. scene where as long as the music's there, these things will pop up. Uh-huh. So the the main level now turned into where they host music. And now it's it's like it's still jazz. I mean, it's still, you know, black American music mm-hmm. where it has elements of um, swing and funk and rhythm. And they're doing... Uh, R&B tunes mm-hmm. and 
uh, MCs come in there and rap, and it's like continual music. You know, maybe even like you know a, a church rehearsal where like you just get in there, start playing some things, and it morphs into a song. So I learned like uh, like that's not the only place that happens. So like there's this level of creativity and dance music, danceable music that can be expressed in a lot of different ways. So I only mention this because uh, it helped me get a beat on you know where jazz has been in where jazz quote over uh, has been in the past 15 years or where it might be headed in the next 15 you know uh, i've heard robert glasper has been known to drop by and you know so there's cross there's definitely a cross pollinization between new york and dc on that level oh, okay. you know but i also don't think it's exclusive i've been in austin and seen the same thing happen huh. texas yeah where you know like um, it could be, you know, Michael Jackson, you know, or a Stevie Wonder song um, that, you know, people know. And that's where I kind of got hip. I started listening to a lot more Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson and trying to understand, like, that repertoire. Jazz school doesn't offer you that, no. really, unless you're kind of into it. Yeah, D.C., uh, those jazz clubs, they come and they go, but the music still stays. Another one I was reminded of is a club called Twins, which was there for a long time, uh, 30 plus years and its second venue was there on u street before it was at colorado avenue and all the guys talk about colorado avenue and I, you know that's when i know i wasn't it dates me yeah i wasn't there when when the one oh, step yeah. down is in dc or right. was on colorado avenue but on u street it's tough to keep a jazz club open you got to have a restaurant well, or something imagine. too right serve some food um i they just didn't survive the pandemic Oh, yeah. yeah. And I could see some, some of the signs of the struggle before that tell like they needed some repairs around. I mean, I don't want to cast any shade, but and, and like people, if anybody knew about this club, they would be like, aha, yeah, I've seen it happen too. But I'm up there playing and a rat runs right across the stage oh, no. <laughs> behind the drums that are next to me to the left and up the pipe. <gasps> Into the ceiling. Oh, while you're playing, you're just like... Yeah, I'm just playing and watching this rat run, like, under this guy's kick pedal. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, that's funny. What'd the drummer do? Uh, Well, he didn't really... He didn't see it like I saw it. You know, it kind of, like, worked his way around him. And he's just up there playing, you know? And you're like, I was trying to kind of get his attention with it, you know, but by that time, he's running up the pipe. And climbed up behind him. Yeah. And over him. Yeah, up in a little hole. That's yeah. funny. Rat problem in D.C. is kind of bad. Is it? Yeah. Biggins like they have in... Yeah, they're big. They have in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Well, there are a lot of what rats in Washington. I can see that. I think it has. it can happen in any city. I guess I'm being a little apologetic. It's not like infested with rats. But, you know, yeah, you come out to your car late in light... This be rat running across. No, the, yeah, no, thank you. I've never, we've never had uh, that problem in, in Knoxville. I think, yeah, DC has a rat problem. If you come out uh, to your car and there's one just hanging out, oh yeah, oh, I'll be waiting on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen them frolic. You know, no, oh yeah, when the seasons change a little bit, you know, fall's coming on and they're out there. So squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. That's playing. really funny. That one ran across stage. Do you remember what song was playing? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Or what, what song you were playing? Nah. nah. Are you going to miss D.C.? Are you going to miss playing in D.C.? I'm sure. I do. I do already. 
Um, are you going to go back and play any from like you did not you, you drive to Knoxville to play? Are you going to drive to DC and play some? Yeah, there are some uh, corporate gigs booked. Nice, uh, but guys hit me up, and I'm not in town, so yeah. it's just it's about being on the scene. I'm glad they do. Like, I'm not one to be hitting people up when I'm rolling into town. Like, right. hey man, if you got a gig, you can. Yeah. Uh, but there are a few people I'll let know, um, you're coming in for sure on a personal note. And yeah, if you want to hit me up, I got a base. (laughs) Have base. We'll travel. Yeah. Up to 500 miles. In fact. Yeah. I got a base (laughs) at a friend's house there right outside of DC. Like an upright base. Cause you can't, you know, can't always count on having the room for it. Um, so yeah, I'm set up. Like I plan to. You're like Israel Keys with his kill bags. You're just leaving little little music pockets around where you where you leave your instrument. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you could go from town to town and kill. Get it? Like a pea stain. Kill. You know who Israel Keys is, right? No. The serial killer? No. Yeah, he he had places all over in different states where he would bury kill bags. Oh, his like go bag. His go bag for for murdering, and he'd leave them there for years, and just know where they were, and just go to that town, dig up that murder bag, and kill somebody. The level of diabolic planning he's like is years out. He's like up there in like the number two most prolific serial killers. He's up there with Gacy and Dahmer and H. H. Holmes. I know about some H. H. That's yeah, old my, my wife listens to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Which, yeah. It always goes back to the true crime podcast. Sorry. Well, it's <laughs> fascinating. It is. And like, definitely, there are a lot of people doing it these days. Yeah. I am okay with the idea of knowing the stories. I think it's better to know about the victims or oh, remember yes. their legacy. Because let's face it, these are very like, is it sociopathic or psychopathic? Narcissistic people who really have not much regard for anyone else. And every time you mention their mm-hmm. name... They just get off just, on it. Yeah. I don't like the names that they give serial killers. I think they need a name because you need to refer to who they are without saying their name or actual name. You know, they need nicknames. Right. I do agree with that. But I don't think that they should be nicknames like the Golden State Killer or whatever. I think they should give them names like... How about a prison number? Yeah, just not. That's something that is not, you know, like a, oh, it's the Golden Street Killer, you know, like. Yeah, you know me, that's me. (laughs) Something that you wouldn't want to, yeah. Yeah. But. But we don't like, I mean, the press gets it. Yeah. You have to identify the people and it's. But I do, there are a lot of podcasts out there that really take the time to make sure that the victim is talked about more than the person that I've noticed the trend so many lives by taking yeah but know. it doesn't belie the fact that the podcast is based on the <laughs> that the I'm those. a fan of cautionary tales I don't know oh yeah I like knowing situations so maybe I could be prepared for them that is helpful I like knowing how people got out of situations in case I ever have to get out of a situation or what would I do differently to not put myself in that situation I think that's why a lot of women listen to true crime you know I didn't think of that yeah 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 it somehow makes us feel more prepared or something I don't know yeah yeah I guess I could 
feel the same way, um, but not. You know, I'm, I'm, I didn't think of that firsthand. I think what uh, I don't. Well, you wouldn't, because you're a man. Exactly. <laughs> I'm you not going to apologize. You you know. No, you don't have to apologize, yeah. but you also just don't know like what it's like to yeah. have that thought in the back of your head all the time when you're just walking down the street. Yeah. I walked in the middle of the street on the way to my car last night. I walked down the middle of the street because I don't okay. want to walk on the sidewalks in case I pass someone on the sidewalk or anything like that. So I'll just, it's late. It's, you yeah. know, I'll just walk down the middle of the street. I do, I do have some awareness, though, mm-hmm. like of, on that. If I'm carrying gear or oh, something, yeah. I'm, if you've got I'm walking, a lot of stuff I'm, I'm come, kind of rounding yeah. a, a woman on the left or the right. Can I keep a good gap, you know, yeah. so they know I'm coming? Oh, around. I see. You're you know, like, okay. like I'm not creeping on them or anything. Because yeah. a lot of times I'm in motion, you know, I'm trying to get You're to not the car, thinking about got my it. stuff. And if but you're, I guarantee they are. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, possibly. So I don't want to dispel any notion. That, That's really you know, nice. Uh, yeah, I think like aren't these Hollywood guys taking pictures with like their arms not around, you know, so they don't want to be suspected of any right of any inappropriate act. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to be all like that, but we have to take care of one another and just having the sensibility, sensitivity to how women have to operate in the world. Uh, my mom was a big influence in my life, um, so. And you have a sister that helps too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, my wife's got a couple, two sisters that are strong women, and mm-hmm. yeah, you you learn some things as you go along and try to, without, I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> Just you know, be a nice person, right? right? Be thoughtful, be? be considerate of how that other person might be dealing with the life that we, this world we're living in now, mm-hmm. with all the craziness. And of course, that applies to people we don't get along with sometimes. Right. Um, this world is gives a lot of opportunity for people to voice their opinions, you know, and share them with the entire world. A lot of times, they're just opinions. That's yeah. what this is. <laughs> yeah, just opinions. Well, you got to take care of mama. You know, that's not an opinion. That's a fact. Yeah. So I like that you've joined, same as it ever was. You all played last night at Scruffy. You nailed it. You add <laughs> nailed a it. lot. Yeah. <laughs> nailed it. You've had a lot to that band. You really do. Thank you. Yeah. I think everybody enjoyed it. Do you have fun playing in Knoxville? I love playing in Knoxville. I told um, you, we love yeah. same as it ever was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We talked about people who show their appreciation. And, you know, when they come out in mass and make a lot of noise and they dance to the music, that really motivates me. Yeah. The music I've uh, been exposed to in D.C., um, besides jazz, uh, is West African music. And uh, it's not far off from what we do there, what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, Stay in the pocket. Less is more. And it helps to create... Uh, really, you can hear the bass more because it's it's sitting right there amongst all the other parts that work together. At least yeah. that's how I'm trying to hear it. Uh-huh. Uh, the guitar player's got a pattern. The drums have some pattern. And so we stay in there and the crowd's moving. You know, you might hear something in there. You might not do it. You just keep it moving. Yeah. 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 You might... Uh, decide this groove is sitting really good and it's some people say play for yourself not for the for the people Mm -hmm. i've also heard it said uh play to the people not to the cats which is a jazz way of looking (laughs) at it 
Um, and I have learned that to be true in, in my case. So things about music that, that create that situation that you're communicating not only with the musicians on the band on a moment-by-moment basis, but the audience as well, you know. That's the best music. Yeah. Right? It's not like, I want to sing you my personal life story. Unless it's some good blues, you know, that people can relate to. Yeah. But if it's just so, like, introspective and non-relevant to everybody else, you know, it's cool. Mm -hmm. But, you know, maybe that songwriter will check his stuff and then start writing some train songs or something. It might be the best song they ever wrote because they could get out of their head. I feel like music is something that we share together when it's being done. A lot of players spend time in their practice room working this out but like students that i teach you know i try to help them get out of that practice room get out of that school not that they shouldn't finish but right right. um and get out there and make the music like make it like you're in the oven like in the kitchen and there's the oven and there's a bowl my man over there he's like prepping this and like we're gonna make this stuff for you right here yeah nice and you're gonna like it i like that analogy yeah I would think that that would be the the best thing for a a music student. You'd think. I mean, it's kind of like um, a tech school where it's not just book learning. Right. You know, you need to go and do it. You got to do it. Yeah, do. I've even heard Vinny Caliuta say things like that. He's got a cool podcast out there. Oh, yeah. Breakfast with Vinny. Really super informative. I love this world of podcasts and music, too, because you guys will start saying things. learn so much. And get so much insight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do believe that. Like, we're not all endowed with the talent or the skills, like the the, the ones we see on miraculous levels mm-hmm. um, on on Instagram or TikTok. Like, it's amazing, you know. It can really drive you in a hole if you can't keep a good attitude, and which includes just understanding where you are with, with this thing called music and trying to figure out how you can grow in it and that usually has to do with other musicians and so you got to get in there do it yeah you have to show up and make the jam you know you have to go and you may not live up to what you hoped uh but if you continue to do it you will grow you'll you'll cultivate the things that you're looking for in in music and you might even get yelled at by other musicians, get a dirty <laughs> look, and you'll you'll figure out, like, oh, I need to lean a little more on the two and the four. Yeah, Something I like the like little that. looks that, that uh, musicians give each other in bands. Like, I yeah. love the signals. I watch for them. Like the end signals and the when the, you all give glances to each other and you just know what to do next. I love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the cues. Yeah, yeah. The it cues. should be intuitive. I mean, it gets back to our topic here and making music in the moment. And it kind of has a common understanding. And it's not just the bandstand. Uh, it's the audience, mm-hmm. too. Um, not that we're doing like exact renditions of the cover songs, but the way of the song in the moment builds... You know, a louder, more intense spot, and you know it's coming, and you know it's coming, and then you see the singer step up, and bam, you know, yeah. like everybody's in. Well, specifically last night, I, I had said to my friend Sarah, during Take Me to the River, specifically, that song with the crowd and being at Scruffy, I looked at her and I was like, we're in church right now. 
like this is church this is yeah. the congregation that's the preacher. I, like, I pointed at Curtis. <laughs> the guy in the blue like, hair. He's taking us to the water. Like, Take was, me there, preacher. It was awesome. I, that's my favorite song that to watch. I like to watch the crowd at same as it ever was. I uh-huh. love to like, I went up a couple of different times onto the stairs and I just like to turn around and watch all the people enjoying that band. It's fun. I know it's fun to watch it from the stage, huh? I was just thinking about that. I don't watch too carefully. Yeah, I think uh, I do, though. I do. A t- I take spot checks. First of all, I have to think about what I'm you doing. You do. You yeah, really. About. But yeah, I don't get like a view of... You get the overall. Yeah, I, I'm looking <laughs> like at the overall yeah. thing. But yeah, I noticed you know, some people that like um like the groove like mm-hmm. i can tell like their their focus changed they oh yeah that sounds good so usually that stands out to me as i'm checking out checking out the crowd yeah yeah plus you have lights in your face too so. true yeah yeah well i just i love same as they put on a good show i'm glad you're a part of it i'm glad super glad to be a part of it thanks for driving so far to do it i'm, t- I'm talking yeah. about above and beyond to be in a band i love it oh uh well hey just it's the way it goes you know i've been all over the southeast all my life so You're right. it's part of the well as long journey. as it keeps you coming to knoxville yeah yeah glad to be here i love knoxville brock's one of my oldest and dearest friends and man just a killing guitar player incredible musician yes mama i might say also he killed it last night too he did he did, yeah, he, did. <laughs> really he plays had. a good adrian blue doesn't he he does yeah and hey i've seen uh, i have seen uh videos of the band over the years mm-hmm. and um i'm glad to be here in this band at this time yeah yeah because these musicians brock chad uh robert uh, grant curtis uh and russ Rats, yeah yeah they like they've been doing this for a while for a long while yeah yeah and they really have the sound dialed in so yeah. it's been easy yeah just just to do it and An yeah so transition. i'm looking forward to hanging out with um the other guys uh, grant and curtis and russ and you know whoever musicians that come around while we're yeah doing doing this thing you might throw off some other projects who knows oh yeah yeah all right well cool. don't you have to get to Asheville? yeah i need to get going same as is playing in Asheville tonight yeah, we're at Salvage Station. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Never been there. Oh, you'll like it. Yeah. All right, Dave. Well, thanks Thank- for the coffee talk. I told you when you came in last Friday afternoon that your penance for for My staying rent? here in the house was <laughs> to be on this podcast. We fought, we went all week. We <laughs> kept putting it off, kept putting it off. Finally, yeah. last minute. Twelfth hour. All right. Well, thank you so much. Perfect. I time. love you, John Steele. It's love been like me. having a brother hanging out. Yeah. Really, it has. Good, good. Yeah. yeah, I love you guys. I love you, Amy. I love what you're doing here. Uh, thanks so much for having me on your on your oh, podcast. Thank you. Yeah, tales right. from the tips. Now, get out of here. All right, bye. Well, that was fun getting to know a little bit more about John Steele. He's a sensitive musician. Very nice guy. I did look up that Oak Ridge Stoners soccer team. That's pretty funny. But I didn't find anything about it. I googled soccer team, pot leaf, jersey, 1980s, Oak Ridge. Nothing came up. If you know anything about it, call in and let us know.
Oh, in Liberty University? Yeah, I looked that up too. Shame, shame. Shame on you, Liberty University. Something else I wanted to mention, in case you were confused, because I was a little confused and started thinking about it after John had already left. When he talks about flying with his base and he turns it upside down in the seat, I thought he meant literally turn the base upside down so the handle would be in the seat and the base would be sticking up. I just couldn't figure out how that would work. But Brock explained it to me better. The neck of the base goes down in the floor, like where your legs and feet would be, and the body of the base sits up in the seat. That makes a lot more sense. Well, maybe you learned some stuff about jazz, whether you wanted to or not. I'll be back in a couple weeks. Until then, play to the people, not to the cats. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you haven't subscribed or followed, do it. I'll pop up smiling in your feed every two weeks or so. You can leave me a message and tell me your crazy tip industry story from the link on my website in the credits. And follow me on Facebook for pics of guests and whatnot. Lastly, I want you to give me the finger and use it to hit that like button. Five star me, message or email me your address, and I'll send you a treat to say thanks. Editing and production is by me, Amy Knight. Music is by Brock Henderson.